Welcome to American Pobligans. This is our pilot episode. A couple of American soccer fans going to talk things U.S. soccer, get you geared up for the World Cup next year. My name's Nate. We've got Joe with us. Let's, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves too much there with the uh, World Cup next year. We've got to qualify first. I'm not, you better knock on some wood here. I'm a little superstitious. I'll be the superstitious one. Um, Maybe the uh, realist too. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, Joe from uh, outside Green Bay, Wisconsin, originally East Coast. Um, My my connection is uh, Polisic, Christian Polisic and I graduated from the same high school. We both went to Hershey. So we uh, came up in the same, um, for for a little while there, the same program, I guess, because I played soccer for a while. So that's my... uh, distant your claim to fame yeah yeah Yeah. there you go yeah so yeah i'm excited yeah so uh just a little bit of background so uh joe and i used to teach together way back years ago in arizona and so this is kind of joe's brainchild he texted me a while back asking about podcasts and then texted me more recently and so here we are um i live in the twin cities and uh i Coach soccer, play soccer, grew up around soccer, love soccer. So we're gonna we're gonna at least take you through this round of World Cup qualifying as the US tries to make good on uh its pledge to to make it to the twenty twenty two World Cup. So Joe, what is your favorite American soccer memory? Uh I mean it's it's an easy, easy question. Um, I, I have a couple memories that I enjoy. Uh, my favorite is you couldn't write a script like this. Um, I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, watching that game at about it was about noon, I guess, when that when he scored that goal. Um, based on the time difference, I just remember running around my apartment, lost my mind because um, you know at that point in the game, we I mean, I hate to say it, but you were you were losing hope quickly. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. That was an unbelievable moment, but, um, you know, my fandom is, is grown, um, throughout the years. I remember in 2002 when we played in Korea, um, this is gonna, where I lived and back in those times, it wasn't popular. It wasn't, um, it wasn't all over TV. Um, it would be on, you know, if we had, if 94, it would be on ABC, the 1994 would be on ABC and they would show the games because it was in the United States. But when it was being, when it was in Korea, um, I don't think it was on ESPN. I, I literally had to get up at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning and watch it on a Spanish speaking network um, with a, with a black and white fuzzy screen. I mean, I didn't have smart TVs. We didn't have these apps. We didn't have the streaming way. So, you know, die hard as I was at that point, um, I was getting up and I was watching those games to the, to the best of my ability. It's funny before we started this stream, before we started this first podcast, there's a couple of world cups that I don't remember all that well. The 2014 one, I took my wife for our first anniversary to a soccer bar. You go online, you can find the soccer bars around the country. And I took her, took her to a soccer bar for that game. Uh, we went and we went for, uh, the first game, uh, Ghana, I believe, when Dempsey scored uh, inside of a minute, 
my wife, uh, as we had been hanging out all day, doing a little tailgating, drinking, uh, been at the bar for a while, had to go, had to use the restroom. Figured she was safe using it within the first uh, couple minutes, and he scored, and we went nuts in the bar, and she knew exactly what happened. She was so mad when she came back out that she had missed it, but uh, the experience, it's just the drama, the emotion, the passion, it's just, its I love it. For sure. I mean, it's interesting that you, and we're about the same age, it's interesting that you kind of pinpointed those World Cup moments. And, you know, for younger listeners out there, uh, the goal that Joe's referring to, of course, is Landon Donovan's match winner against Algeria that helped take the U.S. into the knockout round in 2010, where they happened to lose to Ghana in the round of 16, kind of establishing or continuing that rivalry. Um, but I remember exactly where I was watching that. I was on the West Coast, so it was even earlier in the morning. Late night. Um, and uh, no, I think it was about, so if it was noon in Louisiana, it was 9 oh, a.m. Yeah, yeah, I think it was right. a 7 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast. But um, And I had to drive back to Portland because I was getting ready to start my master's program. Uh, and so I was like, I can only have a couple of beers in the first half. Um, and so, but it was just, you know, that, that match was on a knife edge and you go from, are we going to give up a goal to Donovan scoring? And then immediately, like everybody in the bar, just dancing with joy around the place. Um, so it was, that was definitely a magical moment. And, you know, you talk about 2002, that was the year I graduated high school. And the opening match against Portugal was the night of our all night grad party. So we're in this hotel and the only TV we could find was about a 14 incher that was up in the weight room. And it was all these guys that I had played soccer with throughout high school. And we would go watch old world cup clips in the JV coaches classroom at lunchtime. We actually took a couple of set pieces Mm from some of those plays and execute them in games. But so we're all together, kind of one last hurrah watching the U S and, you know, that was the U S famously beating Portugal who were tournament favorites at that point in that first game. But yeah, those, those were crazy that Korea, Japan world cup getting up at four in the morning to watch matches was bonkers. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, talk about black and white, TV and not having smart screens and all of that. So I, you know, I recall the 94 world cup was the first one that I remember watching and my dad would get cable. We didn't have cable when I was growing up, but he would get cable so that we could watch the world cup. Cause I think, nice. you know, it was, whether it was Univision, I had, you know, the VHS tapes of taped world cup matches in Spanish for years. And I would rewatch Brazil coming back against the Netherlands and stuff like that. So the, Germany Argentina Cup final from 1990, which I don't remember seeing live, but I had a VHS of, so I watched that again and again and again. See, you're a little more, you're you're definitely your experience and your your passion's been around a little bit longer. I I didn't have anybody to really drive it for me. It was kind of something that manifested on my own and just just from watching. Um, but I didn't have anybody to talk soccer to, and it's funny when we were in Arizona. Um, together we would go out often and watch us games and i i yeah i haven't had that very often where people enjoyed watching soccer and you know uh, epl guy and mls 
Um, and, uh, I don't have a whole lot of people to, to share the, the passion with. So, yeah. 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 That, I mean, I, I fondly remember the, the camaraderie of Arizona and being in the desert and mostly football fans, but you know, it's yeah. nice to have somebody to, to watch like the US soccer game down with there. Or, just yeah. Not the United States. Right. That's true. <laughs> so I like to always, you know, kind of put my allegiances out. So I am a U.S. men's national team and women's national team supporter. I'm also from Portland, Oregon originally, so I'm a big Portland Timbers fan. And then uh, I root for Tottenham Hotspur over in Europe. And I support locally Minneapolis City SC, living here in the Twin Cities. You got any teams you want to rep out? Um, You know, I've... I'm drawn to where the United States players go. Um, Seattle Sounders, um, Clint Dempsey, Jordan Morris. Um, where they are is, is I want to watch them play and I want to cheer them on. Um, obviously, Pulisic and Chelsea, um, big supporter. Um, Norwich City with Sargent now. Um, yeah, so I'm. my allegiance is is always kind of changing based on uh, where these guys go. If uh, McKenney goes to Tottenham, I'll be a Tottenham fan too. That'll be tough, tough to cheer for both of them. But, you know, that's, that's just kind of how I was, how I've been brought into it is through United States soccer players and where they've gone. So um, actually was a season ticket holder here for a USL two team, uh, the Green Bay Voyagers two years ago. Um, that was their inaugural year. Went to all the home games, eight or so, eight or nine home games, I believe. So trying to trying to stay connected locally. All right. What's your favorite current or past U.S. men's national team player? You know, the easy answer would be Pulisic. But uh, I love uh, DeAndre Yedlin. I don't know. Ever since he's been part of the national team, just scrappy, fast, uh, tenacious defender, uh, great on the wing. You want to push him up. Has a knack for good crosses. I think he's underrated crosser. Yeah, I got to go Yedlin. If I, if I wasn't going to go Pulisic, so yeah, you. So growing up, I would have to say Kobe Jones, and it was mostly because you know it was hard. You know, as a kid, it's hard to kind of track players, but Kobe with the hair, and just the fact that you know I played wing and he played wing, and um, and then I would say more recently, I mean, um. He's retired now, but uh, Demarcus Beasley, just the the grit that he played with, what he brought to the team, the fact that he was a part of the group for so many yeah. cycles, um, I think really just, you know, it's inspiring the, the impact that he had on the program. So those would be two guys that stick out for me. And, uh, you know, I just kind of fanboy it up when it comes to a lot of these new young guys. I really like to watch them play in Europe and, yeah. So I'm still kind of still trying to kind of figure out who who my favorite is among this current bunch, but uh, definitely lots to like, and we'll highlight that as we come along. So, yeah. you know, I think it's interesting that you said at the beginning not to get too far ahead because you know it wasn't too long ago that October 2017 happened. Four years and, ago now doesn't it, yeah. I don't know if it seems longer forever ago or not that long ago. I don't know. I, I, I can still just thinking about it and just the bitterness in my stomach. And, you know, I just, we, I think true national team fans, you know, you all 
as much as you might remember where you were when Donovan scored that goal, you might also remember where you were when the U.S. failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So, you know, it's a new cycle, um, but I think we'd be remiss to not start talking about this cycle by talking about the just absolute catastrophe that was that 2018 qualifying cycle. And I think that the thing that gives me the most hope for this cycle is just the quality and the youth that the U.S. has this time around, whereas the last time it really felt like they were trying to qualify with the 2014 team, and it just seemed like they they never got their feet underneath them. I don't know how you feel about that, Joe. Um, a couple things. Um, I think there was definitely a, a mixing of old and new and maybe a, a chemistry problem in 2017 and during the qualifying run. I think there was a bit of panic. I was a Jurgen Klinsmann fan. I thought he did a lot of great things, and I think we're still reaping the benefits of some of the stuff he did with the uh, the moves overseas and getting players over there to play. It's The competition is better, and it improves our, our gameplay, and it, it makes us tougher, stronger players. Um, so I I wasn't a fan of that, that, that coaching change. I, I understood it, but it was a panic move. With that said, you know, and I'm going to uh, jump into something here and not totally answer your question, uh, but is there a point this cycle where we go, uh-oh, this isn't good? I mean, do you think we get to that point? I mean, I know you're excited about, you know, texting back and forth. You're you're excited, but is there a point where you're three and three, three wins, three losses? Lost two, you know, we lose to Honduras away. Canada beats us at home, shocks us. We start one, two in the first first thing here. I mean, how quick does panic set in? I mean, there's a, I hate to say it, but there's a pressure to start well and and, and get it going. Um, because I think if, if things don't go well quickly, that uh, they're young and experienced. I know they had some great games this summer where we fought back, but World Cup qualifying is a different, a different animal, especially with with the with the catastrophe four years ago um, sitting there still. Are you worried about that? Or do you think there's a point where you panic? I mean, I think the thing that the thing that sits out to me is I think they get it. I think Bert Berhalter definitely gets it. Um, you know, I saw that he had, it was reported that he said that basically they're approaching this as though they're playing 14 finals, right? And this kind of takes us into the format for this. You know, it's the first time uh, that they're going to have eight teams, this octagonal format, which is brand new. So that puts, you know, a couple extra teams mm-hmm. in there, a little bit more pressure, extra games. And the fact that it's all condensed with COVID, I think that it makes the, the format makes it really interesting for me from a, from a fan perspective, right? It's more games, you know, it, it mirrors Conmobile in a lot of ways. And it's also almost the same number of teams, but, you know, to your question, you know, I think, in some respects, I think ignorance is sort of bliss with this group because few, if any of those guys were really involved. You look at the goalkeeping trio, brand new, you know, the defensive line, other outside of Brooks and Yedlin, you know, none of those guys were involved. Same thing to be said about the midfielders, same thing to be said about the forwards. I think that the, you know, the interesting we talked about, and we'll talk about the roster coming up, but the interesting thing, you know, looking at this roster is it is, in some ways devoid of experience 
in World Cup qualifying. And I think that that can be a good thing because you don't have anybody who's like, oh, we've been here before. They haven't been here before, right? So they can kind of take the bull by the horns in that respect and sort of get after that. You know, does the pressure set in? Does Burhalter find himself on the hot seat? I mean, I just, that's where I think that the progression of the program and the progression of the fact that so many of these guys have made the decision to go to Europe and sort of turned Klinsman into a prophet, you know, prophet martyr, you know, he was basically crucified for saying American players have to go play in Europe. I agreed with him at the time. There's a financial, I think, reason for that. There's a monetary reason for that. They don't want to admit that the MLS is what, barely a top 10 league in the world right now? Maybe. It's probably top 10, I guess. It's getting better. I mean, the, the yeah. play is getting better, and um, but they don't want to admit that. They don't want to say that the U.S. players staying here and playing is going to be a detriment because guess what? If you say that, you're going to lose viewers. You right. lose viewers, you lose money. Right. Nobody in the United States wants to admit that maybe playing somewhere else is actually a good thing. Um, yeah, like you said, he was it did not go well for him because of the things that, that uh, did not go well for him. I mean, it didn't go well. It didn't go well for um, Mexico's coach. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a hard thing to admit when he said the same thing. Um, I think uh, real fans get it and appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I wanted to go back um, on something you said before about two seven two thousand seventeen and and the loss and how it gutted you um, personally, gutted you. You know, it hurt. I was I was mad. I wanted to watch this in the World Cup. I thought we had a a pretty good team that was going to head there. But the thing that hurt the most is I keep, I keep telling people, I keep telling my dad, I keep telling people around me that soccer is going to be a top four sport in this country. And I think that uh, we were building, we were building and we're still, we're still building, but I think we took a, a big step backwards and that's what hurt. I, that really hurt is taking that step backwards. Um, but that's, I think that's why I'm, I'm so excited about this. We got young talent that's um, uh, electrifying. I mean, they, we have guys that are some of the best I think we've ever had. Um, the United States team's ever had, and uh, they're young. And I'm excited to see to see what happens here. I definitely think that this qualifying cycle is going to present a unique opportunity to display American soccer to the larger public on a really fun level and that you know there's the the potential and uh, you know i'm we're not obviously going to go compete with you know the france and the italy and the the germany's and the england's in the next world cup and you know be in it to win it but i think that the group that's been assembled this time around the talent that we have is like we've not seen this before there's not been this level of talent before and that's going to be showcased and the the level of skill is just going to be higher. So for, for new soccer fans out there or even for experienced soccer fans out there, I hope that you will enjoy introducing people to men's national team soccer during this. Um, deepest, game. most talented and deepest. I think we've ever been position for position, maybe not at forward. We'll get to that in a couple minutes here, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there to to help. So it's it's nice. It's nice knowing when we go to the bench that 
we're not taking a huge step backwards. Like I feel like we have in the last 10, 15 years, I feel like our starting lineup and maybe a couple, one or two super subs, but I mean, if you set the right lineup, I feel like we could have three or four or five super subs that, you know, whatever, whatever you needed in, in within a game, which is great for, for Bar, Berhalter. I mean, to have that flexibility and you need a spark or you need someone to stabilize the game or you need, yeah, I think it's, it's all there for the first time in a while. The, the experience is there. The summer helped. All right. Well, I mean, we're so far into kind of like circling 2021 yeah, qualifying. We might as well just jump right into it. Right. So we've talked about this octagonal. Um, the U.S. is one of eight teams that are trying to qualify for this upcoming World Cup, which will be in the fall of 2022 in Qatar. The format is the top three are going to automatically qualify after each team plays 14 games, each of the other seven teams, home and away. And then the fourth place team is going to play off against another confederation. Typically, CONCACAF plays off against that Oceana, so most likely New Zealand. The other seven teams are as follows. So you had Costa Rica, Honduras, Mexico, and Panama, who all qualified in 2017. Panama qualified via that playoff that intercontinental playoff. And then joining those five will be Canada, El Salvador, and Jamaica. So you got those seven teams. Joe, who do you think is the most dangerous team among those seven? Maybe the dark horse to qualify a team that could give the U.S. some problems or give some of those other top teams some problems. Who are you watching out for? Being in CONCACAF, all seven scare me. Let's just say that. When we have to go there, uh, you know. They call it being uh, concacaft for a reason. It's always uh, it's always nerve wracking. Yeah, to answer your question, um, I think Canada. You know, when we played them the last time we played them a few months ago, um, we scored the game winning goal a minute and a half in. Um, and then, I, if I remember correctly, watching that game, Canada looked the more dangerous team. Um, I think Mexico's down, dangerous, but down. Not as talented as they have been. Um, Costa Rica is always dangerous. Jamaica is always dangerous. Sneaky talent. Um, you know, and if you take them lightly, they're going to counter. They're going to counterattack and they're going to hit you. And they're going to hit you for one, two, three goals. And you're going to sit there stunned. So like you were saying before, um, I think it's a it's a great attitude to have. I, every game, every game needs to be treated like a like a final. And every game needs to be taken seriously. So yeah, I think I, as long as we go in with I that would mindset, agree with you. Canada um, seems like the most dangerous team to me. So. Um, you know, they've got a couple couple key guys that play over in Europe. You've got Alfonso Davies playing for Bayern Munich, um, who's a dynamic player for them outside. Uh, Jonathan David, their striker, who's dangerous, plays over in Europe as well. So you know, they've got um, some pieces. They're up and coming. I think that you know they've really improved their stock over the last cycle and. In CONCACAF, obviously showed well at the Gold Cup, making it to the semifinals, giving Mexico a good run in the semifinal. Um, I just looked that up, by the way. You know, and I think that, you know, Costa Rica seems to be aging. They seem to have dropped off a little bit. You know, I think Mexico will get right. They've had some injuries. Um, they're going to have a new coach. So, you know, are they going in strong to this cycle? I don't think so. But, you know, it's there are a lot of games, and I think that their quality, you know, they've got to get through. So, you know, I think that 
you know, I could see Canada sneaking into that top three. I think that Honduras always plays a physical style. So you got to watch out for them. And, you know, like you said, the, the big thing for any of these teams is can you weather goals away, right? It's going to happen. The U.S. is going to give goals on the road. One goal is okay. Two and five minutes, three and ten is where you find yourself all of a sudden in a bad place where you don't want to be. Um, and, you know, at that point it becomes, you know, almost insurmountable. But, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it before. We saw some magic in, you know, 2014 with the big comeback away that, um, you know, kind of changed some things in the table. Um, but, you know, that's it's also been taking teams lightly on the road, playing for just a point on the road. You know, that attitude clearly isn't going to, I don't think we'll be a part of the squad this time. I don't think they're going to let that be a part of the squad this time. I agree. I agree. I think we're going to have a front foot forward and uh, not sit back, hopefully, um, for the away games and be attacking. That's what I'm hoping for. I feel like we've, in the past, we've we've sat back in games we didn't need to sit back in because we were scared scared to lose. You can't play scared to lose. Right. You can't play like that. You have to play to, to win. Um, in Azteca, um, later on, we'll see. Oh, I think you play. Azteca is a different. Right. That's a different beast altogether. Right. But, yeah. but you've got to, you've got to look at your opponent and you've got to say, are we technically superior? And if we're technically superior, we have to be willing to take the game to other teams and we can't be scared not to. I mean, you see that happen all the time with upsets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you got to know that those teams are going to bunker, right? So the fact that we've got so many attacking options, the fact that we can deploy different lineups, I think that all of those things are going to provide benefit, you know, that, you know, you don't just see the U.S. sitting in a, a 4-2-3-1 anymore or a 4-3-3 anymore. You know, Berhalter's shown he's willing to use a three-back system with wing backs. You know, he's willing to throw numbers forward, you know, all those different things. You know, look at the fact that they've got five midfielders and eight attackers in this provisional roster. See how it shakes out. But, you know, that I think that's a statement in and of itself. They've got defenders and attackers. They're going to they're gonna have solid stuff in the back, and they want to get forward. They want to get the ball in these get dynamic guys' hands. Uh, at their feet so that we can score goals. So, well, you're talking, you're talking about the, the strategy here. Let's just jump into the, the roster. So, yeah. Let's get to this roster, man. Um, let's, let's start with the goalies. So we've got, we've got a debate for sure. I think, uh, you know, you had Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen who both played big roles in the CONCACAF nations cup. Right. And then you had Matt Turner, who uh, kind of in some ways single handedly took the U.S. to the Gold Cup. Who are you starting at keeper, Joe? I'm starting Stefan at keeper. But the thing is, and the thing that I love is competition makes for better players. And knowing what he has behind him, he has to play well. There's no room for error because the two guys behind him are playing phenomenal right now. Um, but I'm still starting Stefan. I mean, uh, watching highlight reels of his saves. I know Turner and Horvath had some pretty incredible saves this summer, but you watch the, the tape of Stefan and his athleticism um, is he'll make saves that, that nobody else can make. 
Um, the thing that worries me with Stefan sometimes is that he, I don't want to say takes it for granted how good he is, but like he loses focus, maybe, maybe a lack of focus. Um, I don't think he has that. He, he can't do that. He knows that. Um, so I, I'm starting Stefan. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got to be the odds on favorite. Here's where I think it gets really interesting, right? Both of those European guys, right, are just starting their seasons again. When was the last time Zach Steffen played a competitive match? Right? Matt Turner comes off the Gold Cup. He's playing week in, week out for New England, right? So I'm not saying you you give him the nod, but that has to be in the calculus if you're Greg Greg Berhalter. I just think... Like, it, I think that matters. Um, but obviously, you know, I think I think that, you know, you, once you get in camp, you, well, you, know, you see sure. who's there. But I definitely, I think that, you know, you're spot on. Competition makes better players. And you've got three guys that all clearly won it and have proven and are all young. There's not a clear cut pecking order here. And I think that, you know, that definitely makes the team better. So then defensively rather than run through this full provisional group okay i think who first of all who are you watching who are you excited about from this group joe dest i said i talked about yedlin before but dest for sure i'm excited to see what dest does um yeah he's he's gonna make some plays he's gonna make some runs he's gonna put people on his back and say come get me and uh He's going to force the issue a lot, and I love it. I love it. So I'm excited about Dest. You know, Brooks is – Brooks is if, – if Stefan's goalie 1A, Brooks is goalie 1B. He's just – he's another – he's just – he's where he needs to be. Very intelligent player. He puts himself in the perfect position a lot of the time. Makes very few mistakes. He's big. He's strong. Um, yeah. I, I, I love watching the – I still have the CONCACAF Nations League final um say it on my tv so i go back and watch the highlights of it because i love it um but uh when um who took their pk who took mexico's pk in the 119th oh yeah or whatever no, i don't was. remember but i know what you're talking about guerrero was it guerrero could have been yeah or um i don't remember but uh if you watch the the guy standing behind the pk taker i don't know who the mexican was that walked up and brooks just gave him one of those and the guy like went flying backwards like brooks you know, I, I, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys, McKinney, Yedlin, Brooks, I mean, they don't take any and they, they dish it out and I love it. So yeah, um, Dest is probably my, I'm, I'm very excited for Dest. I, I, for me, it's a tie between a couple of Robinsons, uh, Miles Robinson from Atlanta United and Anthony Robinson from Fulham. I think Miles Robinson should start alongside John Brooks based on his performance in the gold cup. I have that as well. And I think that Anthony Robinson should start outside alongside Dest. And that may rub you the wrong way. Cause it, it puts Yedlin puts Yedlin on the bench, but I think Yedlin gives uh, the team something either coming on as a defensive wing or, you know, fresh legs as a center back. If you need to chase a goal, I just think Yedlin's more valuable off the bench Anthony Robinson had a great season last year, even though Fulham got relegated. Uh, I think he deserves a shot back there. Uh, what I think will be interesting to see is if they go 
with a three center back system with wing backs and push Dest and a Yedlin forward, in which case I would favor Yedlin there. Uh, but I really think they're going to go with a back four given the numbers and just the personnel that they've brought in and attack. You got to get those guys on the field. Um, we got, we got to go for it. I don't, I don't think, you know, not playing Mexico, not playing Costa Rica, maybe at Honduras, if you're looking at, you're starting with six points already and you're trying to play Honduras and get us a third win in a row. But, you know, these first two games, you got to come back for. In the midfield, you know, we've got some really familiar faces. You know, the most experienced guy here is Sebastian Legette. But I think that all five of these guys really bring unique things. And I think that, um, you know, the the analysis that's been done of Kellen Acosta's work talk about shithousery Kellen Acosta's work during the gold cup was chef's kiss baby. Um, and that's, you know, before you get to Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney, you know, I think the midfield is packed. I think we go, you could play an Acosta McKenney p- pair against El Salvador and then you could come back with Adams and let Jet against Canada or some combination of that and then keep guys fresh so you know you've got you got your pick against Honduras which I think is going to be the the key matchup of this first three games but I think that they've positioned themselves to really have a two-game rotation with a third based on who's playing well yeah, I have um, I have McKinney and uh, Adams starting, and I have Reina Pulisic starting on the sides next to him. Um, with so basically a four four two, when you have you could have Pulisic, McKinney, Destin, Yedlin, um, overlapping down the sides, uh, Adams and Adams and Reina patrol in the middle. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what, you know, talk about what they might do in the back. I think it'll be interesting to see what they go with up front, kind of that 4-4-2 into a 4-2-4. You know, it'll be interesting to see, do they go with a number 10? Does Pulisic play the 10? Does Reyna play the 10? Do they throw one of those guys next to Sargent and say, hey, Josh, hold the ball and, you know, Christian, go, Geo, go. So you're starting Sargent. Um, and then, you know, don't forget about Ricardo Pepe, who's not somebody that I've, like, admittedly, not somebody that I've seen a lot because I don't watch a ton of MLS, but I'm excited about this guy. He's 18. He's got nine goals and 20 for FC Dallas. He just made the decision. 11. He's got 11 now. He scored, he scored two. He had a brace right. the other night. Last night he had a so, brace. I stand corrected. 11 yeah. and 21 for FC Dallas. The same reason that you were talking about Turner being the starting goalkeeper I think when you're a forward, you have to kind of have that same mentality. So I didn't really go with it with the goaltender. I agreed with you. I, I agree with you. But um, I'm going Pepe starting up top, and I'm going Hoppy starting up top. And it's Hoppy and Aronson are very close because Aronson is tearing it up right now as well. Um, I don't even have Sergeant. Sergeant comes off the bench for me right now. He's you know he's getting a little bit of time with Norwich, but he's not getting a whole lot of chances. I want guys that are putting the ball in the back of the net. Right. And so if you've been paying attention, uh, the last, you know, you've seen the provisional roster, obviously, uh, Tim Weah, uh, out with injury. Um, so, you know, Matthew Hoppy, who had such a good run at the, um, at the gold cup looks like he's going to be the replacement named to that roster. So 
Yeah. Um, just watching. I don't. I don't remember what he did for statistical stuff. Um, but just watching him play, he makes the runs that need to be made. Um, trying to get in behind defenders and um, nonstop. He's just he's constantly putting the pressure on the defenders and making sure they're looking over their shoulders to see where his next run's going to come from. Um, that's what you have to do. You have to have that that engine that that doesn't stop. Um, and I think the thing that stood out for me with him was that he was like a one man wrecking crew. I mean, the well, let's be honest, the U.S. attack at the Gold Cup was pretty anemic. Um, but Hoppy won a couple of those games for the U.S. with his play. Yeah. Didn't necessarily yeah. get the goal, but he was he was the creator. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think adding him to that group um, absolutely, you know, doesn't diminish at all. And I think he's he's definitely deserving. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing will be, you know, Gio Reyna's got a hot hand. Obviously, he's got to be in there. Pepe um, has a hot hand. He's got to be in there. Conrad De La Fuente has a couple of assists for Marseille. Do you throw him at a wing um, with Reyna at the other and Pulisic in the middle? Um, I mean, in to a, be, be Berhalter right now. To be Berhalter yeah. right now. He's He's got options, and it's fun. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Brendan Aronson's playing well with Salzburg early in the season. I mean, they've yes. just got they've got talent. So, um, sure. you know, I think the interesting sure. thing as we look at this attacking group is some of the notable absences, in particular, Jossie Zardes and Daryl DK. You know, these are guys that DK for these me. are guys that have really had an impact at their clubs the last couple of years. They've featured, and I just think it shows the depth that we've got this time around. And I'm, I'm, I mean, Jesse's artist has had a an honorable, a you know, praiseworthy career. I just don't see him pl- really if he's playing a key role for us going forward that's trouble for the national team. Right. So I'm, I'm glad to not see him there. I think it's got to be disappointing for him, but I'm glad that we have options to go with that are better than Jossie Zardes. I think that Zardes takes a lot of heat um, because of his, his lack of uh, skill in the final third. I mean, he scored some great goals. He's also scored goals where bounced off his face and he didn't know what was happening. And he scored, um, he scored some ugly goals and some very pretty goals, but I think it's all about effort with Zardes. And sometimes you need that, that, that jolt. And I could see him, I could see him get playing, uh, playing a big role here. One of these first three games, a game where we come out sluggish, um, traveling back from El Salvador against Canada home game. Um, you know, we're going to be excited, but I could see us falling into a lull in that game. I could see us falling into a zero zero lull in the 60th minute. And uh, Zardis might be that guy to come in and, and uh, run the back lines and, and get things going and bring some, bring some energy. So I could, I could see him. I don't think he's the starter. I don't think he's somebody we, if we want to go far into this, um, I don't think he's going to be the guy, but I could see him playing a key role in, in a game or two. And I think, you know, given the number of fixtures and the number of club fixtures that these guys, especially the European guys are going to have, you know, squad rotation is going to be key. Berhalter is not going to be able to ride the same 11 guys through qualifying. It's just not going to happen. Um, especially given that you've basically got a tournament every time that you've pl- you're playing qualifiers, like every international break is like a group stage, right? You're playing three games in eight days. 
uh, not even three games in seven days for this first one. Um, so I think it'd be interesting. Do you think, do you think there's a player on the roster that we can't not have on the field? Is there one player on our roster that if he wasn't there, we'd be in big trouble? Or do you think we can fill every player? I think if we if we lost John Brooks for a length of time, I think we would miss him. I I think we would have a hard time replacing all of the things that he brings. Would that keep us from qualifying? I doubt it. But I think that we're that center back outside of Brooks. Um, the experience that we have is lacking. Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream have some experience with the national team. They're not John Brooks. That's who I was going to say. If Pulisic goes down or if Gio Reyna goes down, I mean, there's guys up top that can fill in. McKenney goes down. Tyler Adams goes down. There's guys that can step up. I mean, Let Jet has shown himself time and time again to be a quality, you know, just a solid minutes getter in central midfield. Good engine, right? I Brooks is the guy. All right, so predictions. Um. This first matchup this this coming Thursday, uh, USA at El Salvador. I've got USA 2-0. What do you got? I have it 3-0. Um, I, uh, I think we're going to be ready to go. Guys are going to be fired up. I think El Salvador is probably uh, bottom two in this uh, octagonal, bottom two team. This is a team. It's the game we have to go out and, and just take care of business. Um so yeah, I have three nothing us. Followed up with Canada on Sunday at home, first home World Cup qualifier in Nashville. Uh, no doubt going to be a packed house there. You know Nashville's shown well this the last couple of years with their MLS team. Uh, USA Canada, USA at home. What do you think? Well, I kind of gave a brief explanation of what I think is going to happen uh, earlier and what I'm a little concerned about. We're coming back um, three days rest. The hype's going to be there. I think we're going to come out. I think we're going to score early. I think we're going to go up one nothing in the first 10 minutes again. Um, but I think we're going to fall into a lull. I think we're going to that, – that, that initial um, burst of energy is going to go away and Canada's going to score. And then I think it's going to take a, I think it's going to take a sub. Burr Halter's had a hot hand with subs. I think he's going to hit it again. And he's going to get a sub in there, and they're going to make a play, and we're going to score a game winner in the 81st minute. I've got USA 2-0 again, but I will say that I think that it's going to be a, a much more tense 2-0 than the 2-0 that I'm predicting against El Salvador. I think we have it pretty easily against El Salvador. I think Canada gives us a much tougher time. I think the goals come later. You know, we we unlock them in the second half uh, and then maybe get a second late. But I still like us to keep the clean sheet. Which puts the U.S. at six points headed into the third match at Honduras. And now before we get to our predictions, Joe, if there is a point total that we must have from the first three matches, what do you think it is? What is the point threshold? It's seven. We need seven. Yeah. I think we need seven for sure. I think we should be expecting nine. I think six will be a little bit of a letdown, but two and one first three games, you take it. 
but I think seven. I think this is the, the of the three games. This is the one that scares me the most because we've gone from Central America back up to Nashville in three days, and then we're turning right back around and heading back down three days later into hostile territory. What does our lineup look like at that point? Where were we able to save some save some legs um, for some of these guys? You know. World Cup qualifying is a different different animal. Like I said in the beginning, it's a different beast. And I think there's a different kind of tired. Um, three games in, what is it, eight eight days, ten days, something like that? It's a lot of games. That's a lot of games in, in, a, in a short amount of time. Seven. Um, yeah. So this game, I, I have us winning one nothing. I have us winning one nothing. I think very tight, very scrappy, kind of nasty, concacafy kind of game. Um, that we have to survive. If we walk away with a 0-0 tie there, am I going to be upset? A little, but you know what? If it's seven points, it's probably okay. So I'll say I've got us winning 2-1, but I also think seven points is the, is the threshold. Anything less than seven, and that red button isn't isn't starting to come into focus yet, but you can see, you can see, you can see a flashing light kind of over there in the distance. And it grabs your attention, it's right? Being turned on. All right, quick, quick hypothetical. Quick hypothetical. While I'm thinking of it, if we have to hit the panic button, all of a sudden we're three and six in the first six games here, two and five, something ugly. Just things aren't going well. We had some unlucky things happen. We fire Burhalter. Who are you bringing in? Bring it in. Oh man. Man, I so to be quite honest, I gave Tata Martino a call. Oh Jesus. No way. I mean, they're not going to, but they should. But I mean, I you talking to a guy who didn't want them to hire Burhalter in the first place, who was like, You've got to interview somebody other than Burhalter, right? So has he convinced me that he's deserving of like overseeing this qualifying round? Yes. Do I think he's the best option at coach? Absolutely not. Okay. I don't know. I was thinking about it the other day is if we're sitting here, you know, halfway through the the qualifying and things don't look good. I mean, I'm just, you know, we're a young team. We're a young team, inexperienced team coach in this situation. Um, I just, I want us to get off to a nice, right. nice, right. good, healthy start. And, and And that's the thing is you can't like, this is their roster, right? This is, like injuries aside, like I know they're missing a couple guys, you know, they're missing Musa um, is one name that stands out, but like other than injuries, like this is the roster. This is the 18, right? So this is the, this is the 23, right? If we go to the world cup, you can pretty much guarantee with a, maybe a couple of names, 20, 20 or 21 of the 23 spots at the world cup are going to be these guys, these 26, Right. So there's nothing to change besides a coach, right? So if, I mean, I think, I think that's the thing is if that red button starts going off, if somehow, you know, we're not at seven points, if through six games, we're not at 10 points, uh, you know, we're, we're languishing in the bottom half, uh, then you got to make a change okay. and you, and you got to make it right away and you got to bring in somebody who's experienced. I don't know. I don't know. It was just a, uh, it was a hypothetical. I just wanted to see what your gut reaction was, but that's, you know, my biggest concern is 
that panic button coming into view because of because of what happened four years ago. But um, for sure, my gut says this team is determined. Sure. This team uh, has a chip on their shoulder for no other reason than we want to be the best, and uh, they're hungry. So, I think that's the thing that is going to get us through this is the hunger and the determination and just the, that attitude, that attitude, that desire to really get out there in the way that you watch these guys play week in and week out and the desire that they have. Uh, and I think that that's infectious. Um, so I think that's going to go a long way. So that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can look for our next episode, which is going to come uh, sometime in the first few days after this round of qualifiers. We'll do a review of each of the U.S. matches. We'll talk about the table, talk about where we stand. Uh, We'll talk about whether or not we see any red flashy things. Hopefully not. And in the meantime, if you uh, have any thoughts, you have takes that you think we should address, you have... Uh, questions for us uh, you should follow us on twitter that hashtag is american Podligan, spelled p-o-d-l-i-g-n that's american Podligan, p-o-d-l-i-g-n you can also email at us uh, american at gmail.com uh, give us shouts feedback things you want us to talk about Anything like that, we're happy to uh, hear your feedback always. So that's Joe. I'm Nate. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you guys next time. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the games. Go USA.